Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. I don't care what degree you have. If you haven't been in business or worked in a business, it's really hard to navigate all those resources and all the tools that you have available to manage and run a business. And so we want to simplify the process to take actionable steps to build your business. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world. We're back another week. It's Will. And Neil. What's up, my brother? You're right uh, in the middle of the madness. Yeah, we're right in the middle of the madness. You mean the March madness? I do mean the March madness. It's pretty much over for me. I'm kind of a one-trick pony around March. And if uh, yep. that pony doesn't succeed, then I never again want to see another game. I'm the same way, and we have been that way since 2018. Yeah, it's uh, getting a little redundant. don't like speaking on it. You know, we do have some SEC schools still remaining, some Appalachian schools still in the mix. So uh, I'll root for those. Yeah. Uh, you know, Will, it's with uh, things not going so well with the basketball cats, I mean, I guess we'll just resort to watching shows, watching movies. Have you seen any good ones lately? Well, we already spoke about the Oscars, but have you seen the new – he's actually – an Appalachian himself, Cocaine Bear. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, what are your thoughts on the, the Cocaine Bear? The Cocaine Bear supposedly is at Kentucky for Kentucky. You know the store in Lexington? They supposedly have the original Cocaine Bear. There's a story that came out in the Daily Yonder about the Cocaine Bear. We'll put it in the show notes. It's actually pretty good. The true story which started, like I said, in East Tennessee. In the beginning, I thought it was kind of a joke that they were going to make a movie out of it. But, man, they they got some big-time actors in it. (laughs) Have you seen it? I have not. I've not seen it. It did, uh, you know, I guess debut or whatever you want to call it in Lexington, Kentucky. Definitely an Appalachian story. It it got some good reviews. I think it's more in in line with, uh, obviously, it's kind of comedic horror but it's it kind of reminds me of sharknado of what's that sharknado you've never seen sharknado no i can't say that i have will gosh oh my gosh you've never heard of sharknado no who has any of our listeners you think pretty much everybody who who has ever heard of shark week (laughs) yeah sorry you're coming I, back and reporting. You have to look. You don't have to watch it, but just look up Sharknado, and you can come and talk about it in the next episode. Okay, it's, well, it's so amazing that they made about four. Like it, they have like Sharknado one, two, three, four. Can't be that good. Are you giving me an assignment? Yeah, it's about flying sharks that like try to overtake the earth. I, I don't know. Sci-fi. 
Yeah. You know I'm not going to watch it now. I know you're not. But you got to at least look it up for the next episode. Then you can you can talk about it. <laughs> okay. One piece of app news I did want to talk about, something that we missed talking about last week, but it just happened this past weekend, the Appy Awards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Happened at the Mountain Arts Center in Prestonsburg, Kentucky, celebrating all arts in Appalachia. I didn't get a call about it. (laughs) I I didn't either. That's disappointing. I, I thought I thought we may have a shot, but oh well. Maybe next year we'll. Maybe we, we got to nominate ourselves next year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe some of our listeners could lend a helping hand. I think the Appies are actually a really good idea. You know, they celebrate yeah. everything in Appalachia, all that this podcast is about. I think it's growing every year. One year they had to go virtual, but I think this is like the third year that they've had it. We kind of are the Appies on a, on a, on a weekly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a big celebration. They like to have a good time. Red carpet. We, we should definitely try to attend next year. Yeah, for sure. I'm in. But I did want to talk about actually uh, an Appalachian story. It's really an important story that's going on right now in a little town in North Carolina, Western North Carolina called Canton. Canton, North Carolina. There was this paper mill, it's right outside of Asheville, but there was this paper mill that's been there for over 100 years. It started in 1908. You know, you think about central Appalachia, you think about Appalachia in general, you always talk about the steel mills, you talk about coal, but timber is always in big industry in Appalachia as well. And this paper mill, start, like I said, started back in 1908, and it started as the Champion Fiber Company. In that time period, I think the little small town of like maybe 200 people grew fivefold. You know, it survived throughout the years, changed names several times, became a worker-owned facility. In 1999, the employees bought out the company and renamed it the Blue Ridge Paper. And then in 2006, it was sold and transferred again and renamed to Evergreen Packaging, which is what it is called today until last month when out of the blue, the owners all of a sudden decided they were going to shut down the mill. Thousand workers in this small town of out of nowhere um, just decided they were going to shut down this mill. But it's a union company. But because it's a worker right states, they had the right to just close shop. And they, you know, people are speculating why they did, why they didn't. Not trying, we're not trying to point any fingers on here. Obviously, it's a terrible situation, but it just makes me think of the coal mines that shut down in eastern Kentucky, of how symbolic it is and how much it resembles the, you know, the coal industry, the steel industry, how devastating it's going to be for this small town in Canton. North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a sad story. It is. The entire town, like I said, 1,000 workers, which is pretty much the population size of this small town, work at this facility. In a little less than a month, they're going to be without work, having worked here for, you know, decades. Like I said, it's over 100 years old. There, there should be much more of an uproar. I know the governor has gotten on board to try to force the company to stay open. I think there are some kickbacks that they got from the state. 
but because they are not no longer going to be, to be keeping employees, I think the governor is trying to take that money back or else they have to stay open. There's a lot that's going on right now, but the moral of the story is, you know, it's terrible for this town um, that has been so dependent on this one factory for so long. And one of the reasons why I wanted to mention that, one, to bring light to the story. Another reason is because we talk about all, all, all the time on here, diversifying your economy um, yeah. and not just focus on one industry in your town. Because when an industry does go away, it's devastating to a town. And there are organizations out there, one that we're having on the show today that talks about not just going after the big fish, the big company, not just attraction, but entrepreneurship and how important it is for these small towns to be a more diverse economy and to focus on entrepreneurship. As you know, Will, entrepreneurship is uh, very crucial, very important in in uh, not only small towns, but big towns across America. I, for one, as an entrepreneur, wish that I would have had some strategic help along the way that our guest tonight could have offered had I known about. Yeah, definitely. This organization that we're having on tonight, the CEO, Jose Afaro, is the CEO of Co-Starters. Co-Starters is an organization that actually goes into communities and helps them to build up their entrepreneur ecosystem, to, to train entrepreneurs, to support small businesses, which is exactly what we're talking about in regards to entrepreneurship and focusing on diversifying an economy. Well, if we're not going to talk about Sharknado anymore, then uh, I'm all for just skipping ahead and getting into this interview because uh, I want some useful knowledge. Yeah, I agree. You want to just get him on here? Let's do it. On the show today, we have Jose Alfaro. He is the CEO of CoStarters, an entrepreneurial development organization equipping community organizations, entrepreneurship hubs, and cities, small businesses with everything they need to start, grow, and succeed. What started in 2008 in Chattanooga, Tennessee is part of a five-year revitalization effort for the city called Create Here has led into a network of communities and small business success stories throughout the world. Having now served 350 communities, 24,000 small businesses with a 92% business launch rate and a 97% first year business survival rate, that being co-starters. So Jose, we want to thank you for being on the show and appreciate your time. Oh, thank you for having me. So as Appalachians are typically big on history, big on tradition, Neil and I, our family is big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We usually have this huge spread of appetizers, bigger than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer? Oh, man. Uh, it depends on the occasion, right? So if I'm yeah. going like, to hang out with friends and and just like watch a ball game or something like that, uh, man, I'm I'm... I'm just a sucker for for some good chips and guacamole or or cheese. Actually, I went to Wisconsin and they had the cheese curds. The first mm. time I had cheese curds, I, I, I will go with cheese curds. I'll do those anytime. <laughs> they sold you. They sold you on the cheese yeah. curds. Yeah, you're a yeah. convert. <laughs> yeah. What kind of chips you dipping in that guacamole? 
Oh man. So I actually, so I used to be, a, uh, I used to be in the hospitality world and restaurant world. So I would yeah. basically fry my own tortilla chips. So corn, oh. the corn tortilla chips. Yeah. So big time. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have time to do that. You got to check out. That. Oh, oh man. I, <laughs> I still cook, man. That's how I still keep my, uh, my creative juices flowing, you know, so running, running yeah. a company, helping others takes a lot of mental work. And so I was like, well, I, I still got to have an out, um, an outlet to, to be creative. So <laughs> Neil's got his favorite chip. I mean, the, the, the Tostito scoops, you know, are nice, but only if you get the multigrain. Yeah. 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 Multigrain yep. is where it's at. Yeah. And what I didn't mention in the intro is that Jose, like you mentioned, is an entrepreneur himself, you know, a background of entrepreneurship before he started at CoStarters. We wanted to ask you just what is CoStarters all about? Why did it get started in the first place? Yeah. So, you know, the idea uh, back then was uh, when we talked about the story of Chattanooga was that how do we get a culture, a vibrant culture that corporations want to move to, right? And so how do we create a, a culture in a city that, you know, we don't have to give all these tax incentives away, but that, co uh, that corporations want to move to that city because of that vibrancy. So what a lot of people don't know is that like Volkswagen was coming. We had to deal with them to, to build that plant, create a lot of jobs. But they were like, yeah, you need to work your downtown. Like this is not going to work. Right. And if you look at Chattanooga, there's the river city, the riverfront area. And then there's the main street and they're probably like, I think 10 blocks apart and you know, probably a little bit more. And one of the ideas that we know is that if we invest in the artist community, they will create that culture. They will create that sense of place. And so in create here, one of those ideas was, well, let's bring a bunch of artists here. And that was our first effort. Let's connect with them. Let's build with them. And the idea was that if we help them, then they can build uh, businesses that we can fill our storefronts in our main street. But it wasn't that easy. We were helping them for a year and they weren't filling up the storefront. So like, all right, well, this is not working. So what we started learning is that we were bringing all this, um, especially in 2008, all that tech accelerator stuff, right? We were bringing all that accelerator knowledge to these entrepreneurs, these starters to get going with their business. But man, they wanted nothing to do with us. They wanted nothing to do with entrepreneurship. And who can blame them, man? Like it, it was, you know, you look at that, it's complicated. It sounds jargony. It sounds like a club, you know, just the word in itself. Right. And, and everything in the news was the fancy socks, the briefcases, people getting VC funding to grow their businesses. So what we decided to do was like, well, what do these artists, creatives, makers and doers need to be successful in business? And so we came with three philosophies and all the resources that are out there around accelerators and incubating uh, business ideas, we simplified it and made sure that we integrated these, our three philosophies in, into that. So our first philosophy, we invest in the individual. So back in 2008, what does success look like? Sell your business, right? Sell, get, you know, get to your round D of funding and then sell. Sell the big giants, right? Or sell to somebody, right? That was the meaning of success. And, and the reality, the truth is that most small businesses, that's not where they're going to go. And we're losing, you know, the, there's a, there was a decline in entrepreneurship it was because we're focusing too much on that type of environment. And I'm not, I'm not against that. Uh, so I, I don't want the listeners to think that I'm against that. It's just that small businesses, I think Chase put out an article, and this was back in 2011, that majority of the jobs 
I think it was like 50 to 60% of the jobs came from businesses, from micro entrepreneurs, businesses that had five or less employees. So if that's the truth, we need to rethink what success looks like. And so we invest in the individual and we help them identify what success looks like, right? So it doesn't have to be the high growth, uh, high growth business model or that with an exit strategy. It can be a storefront that provides a good livable wage for your family and for your employees, but also invest in your community. And so that's a lot of what we help them kind of think through is like, how do we help you do that? The second part of it is we do everything in community. So one of the things that we learned is that these entrepreneurs or these starters or makers are lonely. Like they, they, they go on their own, they figure it out. They can go on Google or YouTube and try to figure out on their own and hustle and that whole hustle culture. And I'm just like, you're like, that's, that doesn't work. The number one reason businesses fail is poor market product fit. And, 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 but if you look at how to start a business, everybody's talking about, you have to do marketing, you have to do this and you have to do that. And it's like, okay, well, we're not actually solving the actual problem. So what we're going to do is we're going to create cohorts of, of peers to help each other out to solve those problems that are being facilitated by a business leader in the community. Now, the business leader is not supposed to tell them whether their idea is good or bad. The entire job of that business leader just to ask questions and to send them back to their customers, right? And that's when really started learning that, okay, co-starters is helping people validate their business model. And what I love about that is that we're actually tackling the number one reason startups fail for market fit. So yeah, if we right. can do a product market validation, not only through is the market ready for what I want, do people want what I have, but will they pay for what I want and will they? how much will they pay? If we can answer those four questions, the rest of it is easy. And the other part of being in community is that you are connected to all the resources in your network, in, in your area, right? And so instead of these organizations being siloed, we're trying to find a way to get them all connected so that the entrepreneur has access all the resources available to them to start their business. And lastly, we keep it simple, right? How do we keep it so simple that we don't make it you know, juvenile, right? That's kind of what somebody had said before is we do write it at a seventh grade level, not because we want to dummy it down, but because we want to make it accessible to everybody. I don't care what degree you have. If you haven't been in business or worked in a business, it's really hard to navigate all those resources and all the tools that you have available to manage and run a business. And so we want to simplify the process to take actionable steps to build your business. We started that, and that's how we started building our programmings and our workshops and our events through those philosophies, bringing the best of, uh, the best of Silicon Valley, the best of Techstars and Startup Weekend and all that kind of stuff, bringing it in, building those community models, building the simple models to help these, these uh, artists and creatives start businesses. Well, we started putting them into these storefronts because we started speaking their language. We started making it easy for them. And so Main Street just started growing, right? Then, you know, uh, Volkswagen built their plant jobs. Well, more corporations were coming in. You know, Volker said, then said, hey, we want to come. And then, you know, just start coming more and more corporations coming to Chattanooga where there was an energy in Chattanooga, not only about attracting businesses uh, and tech businesses, right? But also cultivating a culture around any idea is possible, right? Come and bring your ideas and get started here. You know, you know, you mentioned the accelerators, the, the tech stars, you know, there are a lot of EDOs out there and you kind of alluded to this already. There are a lot of incubators, a lot of accelerators, a lot of EDOs, a lot of programming. What sets co-starters apart? I think you kind of already answered that, but do you focus on 
rural communities? Do you focus on smaller communities or does it run the gamut that you try to create this ecosystem, a micro yeah. ecosystem within the community? But what sets co-starters apart? I think at the beginning, we were just trying to help those creatives and makers and doers, right? They, they don't really have a lot of the support systems like the tech uh, startups do. I would say that that's number one is that we saw a gap and a need in that. And we really stayed focused on that. So we do focus. I mean, I would say a lot of our, our, of our footprint is in the Appalachian region, right? Because I mean, they got hit hard, right? When the in- industries and the industrial kind of stuff started moving out and everything started being automated and jobs being, and we moved more into globalization, then, you know, those jobs were leaving and you're having to teach the communities about entrepreneurship. Which is, which is another task in itself. And so we understood the challenges. And I said, I think what sets us apart, I would say entrepreneurship is the, the tool we use, but what sets us apart is that we're really focused on the community aspect. We want to see cities revitalized. We want to see people thrive. We want to see communities thrive through those local businesses. We want there to be a unique footprint that the organizations that are on supporting entrepreneurs, all types of entrepreneurs, are connecting together to support that entrepreneur. It, because we have that's our uniqueness, it puts us in a position to be in a lot of rural areas that have a strong sense of community. I want to ask you about your programming, but t- but to that point in regards to communities, you know, not all entrepreneurship looks alike. Not all communities, obviously, are the same. No ecosystem is the same. With your core programming, so you go into the communities and cater the programming based on the community's assets. I'm assuming it's not just a cookie cutter approach. Do you work with the communities to deliver your programming? Yeah, actually, funny enough, the, the programs itself are very templated, right? Because we we wanted to answer, how do you validate your business model first, right? That's our entire question that we're trying to pro- provide. What, what we differ is, like you said, every community is different. So it's our strategy on how we train the leaders in the community to execute the program. So one of the things that we've learned that's very different from like a tech stars or Y Combinator or generator or builders and backers is that we don't centralize everything around us, around co-starters. We actually centralize everything through the community. So we actually equip the organizations in the community, in that community to deliver our programs because there's a higher level of trust. That is the only reason we're able to support 24,000 entrepreneurs because of the level of trust that our partners have in delivering our, our resources. So the changes or the uniqueness is that community. And so what we do is pull that out from them and saying, this is what makes you unique. This is what makes you special. This is the opportunities you have. Here's how you can work through it. Because the program, like I said, is just a vehicle to help people get there. You know, I tell a lot of communities, if you just come to Coasters and say, okay, I want to buy the program and go on social media and say, hey, we have this 10-week accelerator program for makers, dreamers, and doers, you're not going to have success. But if you understand the pattern, understand where the people are at, understand their fears, understand their true needs, and you start addressing those needs, when they are ready to get started, the, the accelerator program makes more sense to them. 
right? Yeah. Because there's that level of connection and trust, but it all has to do with the organization and how they engage the community. Uh, can you let our listeners know about the programming? I think you have five or six buckets of programming that you actually offer. Uh, you know, entrepreneurs, they really have limited time beyond running their business, but you also offer a boot, a boot camp launch. Just a two-day extreme, get your business started type of programming for those entrepreneurs that really don't have the time or the assets. But can you just uh, let us know about your program? All our programs are designed to have a small yes, right? And and if there are any entrepreneurs listening here and you're trying to figure the things out in sales, I always say, start with the small yes. What's the next yes that you can get? So at the beginning front of it, we have these guides that basically it's our canvas and walking you through your idea. Whatever idea is flowing in your head, let's put it into pen and paper and let's figure this thing out for like 15 minutes to see if you even wanna do this thing, right? So we have this wayfinding product that that helps them do that. Then we have um, structures to help them, to help organizations do events like meetups, pitch competitions, advisory boards. Then we have uh, workshops, right? Once you go through the wayfinding guide or the wayfinding meeting, you're like, all right, I want to move this forward. Then you go to an event. It's like, okay, I I think I can do this. Then you go to a workshop to really put some legs into that idea. You're like, okay, I can see this flowing. Then you go to the coasters boot camp where you're really putting a lot of effort and saying, okay, I need a plan. What am I actually going to do? And so that due day boot camp just gets you in there like, okay, answer some of these questions, the things that you haven't thought about, those assumptions that you have, how do we get them going? And then our core uh, accelerator, which is working on the business to really get it going, right? And so it's all to there for the organization that's supporting that entrepreneur to have small yeses across the board with this individual. I, I just wanted to mention to let our listeners know, you mentioned the business model canvas, which is an excellent resource for any business, any entrepreneur or anyone with an idea. I just wanted to mention that you provide that free as a free download yeah. on your website. Yeah. With- Go to our website and download it. And it's easy to use. Like just answer the questions that are in the boxes and 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 you're good. You're on your way to, to starting your business. <laughs> yeah. If you want to let our listeners know where they can find that on, or where they can find your website. Yeah, yeah, they can just go to co-starters.co, so C-O-S-T-A-R-T-E-R-S dot C-O, not dot com, dot co, or just go and search on Google Co-starters Canvas, and, and there's a free download there. You download it, and um, you also, once you download it, we give you some tips every week on how to use it and how to work it and how to uh, maneuver the ideas. You have obviously, since 2008, expanded beyond Chattanooga. Now you work with communities throughout the world, 350 plus I read in the uh, intro, but you did mention that Appalachia is a large part of your footprint. You know, Appalachia really consists of a lot of smaller communities, small main streets where small business are really the heart and soul of the communities. Is there a secret sauce for communities when you're going in there for communities? Can any community, from your opinion, from CoStar's opinion, can any community become a vibrant, more resilient and economically sustainable through entrepreneurship development and your programming? Uh, just what is it? Can any community uh, you know, build upon what they have? Are you allowed to share your magic for free, Jose? <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, it like you know, it's it's one of those things, right? I, I would say this, like when people say, like, how how do I, uh, 
you know, how do we build collaboration? It's like, well, we got to listen. We got to do this. I'm like, all those ideas are good, but we got to put them into practice, right? So I can give you some high level thoughts, but put it into practice. Those simple common sense ideas is actually harder (laughs) in my belief. This is my belief. Every community has the opportunity, but they have to be able to adapt. They have to be able to collaborate. They have to be able to challenge their ideas, right? So I would say there's three things that they need to do or at least willing to look at. Number one is they need to invite existing business owners, small business owners to the table. So when I say they, organization, the city, economic development, traditional business support, so chamber, SBA, SBDC, whatever they have, have to have to invite business leaders in the community to have a seat at the table, not just to give them a survey, no, to actually discuss and have suggestions and talk and be a part of what's happening. Number one reason, that creates trust. So the people don't trust those traditional organizations. And, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. And if anybody's listening to me, like, please don't take that the wrong way. Like, let's just be realistic and be self-aware. People don't trust politics and people don't trust government. Like, that's just where things are. So how do we change that, that narrative, right? We can change that narrative, right? And so you have to allow business leaders and community leaders to be, have a seat at the table to strategize and talk. The second thing I would say is you need to have a rallying flag. And what I mean by that is, what is the goal of the city? What are you trying to be? Who are you? What are your resources? What are you, what are you known for? All those things, like really taking some time to think about that because that strategy is so important because I have seen a lot of cities just throw darts at things. I'll give you a prime example of what this looks like, right? There was a community that I'm working on. I won't say their name just to save them, but a small town and they have like a brewery and they're trying to get more businesses, but their main street is dead, right? It's a lot of legal and all that kind of stuff, but there's nothing happening on their main street. And their idea is like, oh, we're going to like, we have to bring a business in and do it all stuff. And I said, I understand that's traditional, the traditional way of thinking about it, but like, what does the community want? And one community person said, hey, we really want that theater that's downtown to be revitalized and like a place for people to hang out, a place for people to be. And if we can do that, then there'll be more businesses that we can be supported here because people are going to come to that. They're going to want to do more things here. That ice cream shop is going to open, all those things. And everybody in that circle was like, oh yeah, that, 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 yeah, that, that's a plant that like we can rally around that. And I'm not saying that's the only thing, but let's start there and build on top of that. So having that strategy of what do you do? What does your community need to rally around, to build momentum and success? What are you known for? They're, they were also known for having the, one of the only toy stores in the region. Rally around that, tell the story. And the third thing is collaboration. And when I mean collaboration, I, I'm talking about like, we don't own the entrepreneur. That like the entrepreneur, the person is not a data point. The person is a person. It's a human person. Their activity is a data point. So let's think about data differently and collaborate with others because that one person has to do 50 activities. Guess what? That's 50 data points that you can connect to that person. So instead of saying we supported one person, how did you support them? What did they get out of it? What's the ROI on that? How else can you do that? How can you duplicate that? I mean, there's so many things that we forget as support organizations that we don't need. And so the way uh, an entrepreneur will go through this process is having connections, understanding what their next step is. If you can do those three things, right? So 
have a rallying flag, invite business owners or buy business and community leaders to it and collaboration, you have an opportunity there to create something really special and unique. Jose, in your time and your experience, do you have, I know you've probably seen many successes over the last several years. Do you have a favorite success story, whether it be from a business that you've helped or a community that you've helped? Um, I I mean, I I can probably share two, right? So two stories. Um, One is from an entrepreneur, right? And this is like a quintessential story of, of this work. Felicia, she built this product called CPR Wrap. Now, She's in the medical field, but she was like a nurse or something like that. She never built anything. She wasn't a inventor. She's never started a business and just had this idea because something happened to her son. And she's like, well, I don't want mothers to go through this process, right? That's how every idea gets started, right? Like, right. And she went through the co-starters program. Then she went to another resource in the community. She went to another thing. She went to another accelerator outside of the state that we supported her to go as a city. She came back, went somewhere else, came back, got more resources, and was just being connected back and forth. Now she's global, making over a million dollars in her re- in her business and growing it. And, wow. and this is a person who has no business degree, not an inventor, never worked in business, just had a dream and a desire. But because the tools and the resources and the understanding were there, she got so much help, so much uh, investment to really get things going. But again, the investment wasn't because her idea was great. I mean, her idea is great, but it's because she had a strategy, but we also had a community that supported her through that process, right? And so that's what's beautiful about ecosystems, right? At a local level, but also at a state level. And then I would say Wheeling, West Virginia. Their downtown was just blank. There was nothing there. And they did the coasters program. They supported, I think, over 200 people they started filling storefronts and revitalizing to the point to where the state was like, hey, how do we do the same activity and go regional, <laughs> do a lot of region work? Their downtown is booming. Like it's people are coming, businesses are coming. The businesses that are getting started, they're getting supported, they're getting funded, they're getting into storefronts, whatever they need. They're doing e-commerce. Like there's just a lot of activity happening. And that to me is one of the a success story. I mean, I have you know, uh, New Mexico, who's doing the same thing. If you have people in Oregon, West Alabama, I mean, all over Tennessee, there's these stories that are happening. Uh, Pikeville, uh, Kentucky, Main Street, Vermont, like there's a Main Street out in Vermont. Like I can just like see them all over. The, each one of them is successful in their own way. But when I talk about a rural community really being able to transform their city, Willing West Virginia is one of those ones that come to my mind because they they put the work, they did those three things that I said, and they're thriving right now. I know you said those those three things, but is there one particular piece of advice that you would give any new entrepreneur? Yeah. So, and I'm sorry, I think I'm talking a lot more from the from the organization, right? So from an entrepreneur standpoint, one piece of advice is validate your business model. And how do you do that? I don't know that I have like three points, but I'll try to like keep it short and concise. It's one, whatever idea you have, go and talk to potential customers. Don't talk to your mom and your dad or your friends. Go talk to people who may buy this. And don't say, hey, I'm starting a coffee shop. Will you come? That You learned nothing, right? <laughs> say, hey, do you drink coffee? Where do you drink coffee? Why do you go there? What makes you go there? How much do you spend? Learn as much as you can. And at the end, you can give the pitch to say, hey, I'm thinking about opening my own space. 
uh, if I have more questions, can I ask you, can I, can I come and ask you some more questions, right? Because that's how you're going to get validated. What if you realize that your community doesn't drink coffee? Well, even if you started a coffee shop, it's going to fail because no one wants to drink coffee. Validating that business. And it's not going on Facebook and saying, filling out the survey. No, actually have customer conversations, have customer interactions. There's nothing wrong. You're just testing your thesis. And I would say that would be the number one thing. And if you as an entrepreneur have an idea and you're like, well, I'm just shy. Guess what? You have to get over it. Like sales is business like or business is sales. And don't think of sales as that car sales guy that's like pushing you and being pushy. No, sales is consultative. It's asking questions. It's understanding what your customer needs so that you can solve their problem. And if you solve their problem, you can charge a lot of money for that. That's what I mean by customer validation. And if you're shy, I think my piece of advice would be just do it. What's the worst that can happen? They reject you, go to the next person. (laughs) Great advice. Well said. As an entrepreneur, you got to be a doer. Will and I talk about doers on here all the time. So I think that's what you're alluding to as well. One question that we also ask all of our guests that come on our podcast, and I'm always interested to hear because, you know, it's people from all over, all over uh, the United States, really. Um, But what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word Appalachia? (laughs) Um, You can be honest. (laughs) Well, we want honesty. (laughs) You know, I I, <laughs> I I would say before co-starters, you know, it was the people on the mountain, you know, you make your own rules. The <laughs> people don't want to be conformed to the ways of, 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 of urbanization, right? Part of it's cool. Part of it is, is it's a little scary. <laughs> that That's kind of the perception. However, I've come to appreciate the community so much because, you know, I think as a society in general, so I'll get a little bit philosophical here, but I think as a society in general, we, we just assume and we judge too quickly, including myself, man. And, and, and I just have to be transparent about that. I, it's just a bad thing about us in society that we just do that. And so I've come to learn more about this region. We do a lot of work in this region. And, you know, those people that just are what I'll call like the outlaws, that want to follow the rules, they just have, they just see a better way. And there's nothing wrong with that. And at the end of the day, like that's what entrepreneurship is all about. I don't see, I, there's a better way. <laughs> like I, there's a better way to do X thing. And when I saw it from that lens, when we can ask people questions of why they challenge authority or they don't like this or, or they do this, they're just asking questions. They're just asking those questions that we as citizens of this country have to answer. And we're not right or wrong. We just have to answer it. So I would say, my views definitely changed, but that's also because I work there. So uh, I work in the region, but I also think that, I mean, ARC, the Appalachian Regional Commission is just doing a lot of work to build capacity for these individuals to have resources. Because here's my, here's my thing, right? When you look at urban communities, they have resources galore, right? I live in DFW, there's resources galore. But when you walk in a region that doesn't have a lot of resources, I would be pissed as hell, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, yeah, I would be pissed. I would be mad and I don't want anybody bothering me. And, and so, because I need help, like and you don't, you're not willing to listen to my challenges. And I think that's one of the reasons Coasters does really well in Appalachia is because we go in there and saying, what do you need? I don't have all the answers, but, but what do you need? And we're going to support you. Very well said. <laughs> 
there, there is another question that we ask everyone. I wanted to ask you, but, but before I ask that, what do you see as the top challenge for an entrepreneur and also for a community? Well, from the community side, people leaving, you know, leaving to greener pastures, which I don't think is always the truth. It's not always like that, but it's people leaving to greener pastures to provide for their families or do what they want to do, you know, as an entrepreneur. I think the biggest challenge for the entrepreneur, I would say it's two-sided. One, I'm going to talk about themselves as a person. It's that fear. It's that fear really creeps in. And, you know, that fear can show up in so many ways. I have to have it right. It has to be perfect before I show it. Uh, I need to know more. I need to have more knowledge. I, I, I need to be better equipped. I need more education, whatever it may be. That's all fear, right? It's just going out there and doing it. This, this fear of failure. And it's not the failure. It's the fear of what others are going to think of you if you fail. Yeah. And so I would say that from an individual level, I always see as the biggest challenge when I talk to entrepreneurs, I'm like, you're just afraid. You're just afraid. And what, why are you afraid? And really peeling the onions back behind that. As a systemic problem, I think the lack of opportunities for individuals to share their ideas and being able to try them and test them and able to fail. If that idea fails, it's a thesis. It didn't fail. You were just testing your hypothesis. Guess what you can do? You can pivot. You can re reuse it, repurpose it, whatever. So it's not really failure. It's just, okay, that didn't work. So like I do a lot of stuff at CoServes. And I can tell you that out of the 10 ideas that I have, eight of them didn't work. But I know right away, okay, that's not going to work. Let's, let's just scratch that. But let's focus on those two that work because those were all my hypotheses and like eight of them didn't work. And that's fine. I can sob on my failures and I'm like, oh my gosh, my board and my communities think they were failures. And I'm like, no, they just didn't work. But the two did. And so we have to give opportunities for entrepreneurs to test and pivot and adapt to their ideas. But from an individual standpoint, and, but then like, if they have fear, if we have a place like that, that fear can go away. Yeah. It's all coming back to what you and Neil talked about being doers. Just, just yeah. go, just go out there and do it. That question that I, that I referenced that we ask everyone as well, you know, uh, we, we ground our podcast on place and perspective. Place is really important to Neil and I. Place is really important in Appalachia. It's like a character in and of itself. To that point, just where do you call home, Jose? And and what makes it home for you? What makes it unique? Uh, this is interesting because, you know, we were talking before about how I love, love Chattanooga. In Chattanooga, I feel considered consider home. Uh, but I live in, in the DFW area to be closer to family. That's a great question. I think for me, you know, there's the, my physical home that I have where I can sleep at, at night and with peace. But when I really feel connected to that community, that's home to me. And I would say Chattanooga did that amazingly. I, I, I landed in Chattanooga and immediately I felt connected. I felt seen. I felt engaged. And it's just one of those beautiful things. And so, you know, to me, that that's home, right? And I'm starting to build that here in DFW where I'm connecting with people. It's a bigger city, which you have to maneuver a lot of that, but it's in a place where you feel seen and connected. That That's what I call home. Good answer. Obviously, no right <laughs> or wrong. Good, great perspective. And even though you might be in DFW now, you're always welcome in Appalachia. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Okay. We got a lot of work happening up there, so I, I'm going to continue to visit. So. <laughs> well, to that point, you know, really... 
why we had you on the show. Um, Appalachian Meets World, we're, we're followers of co-starters. We, we, like I told you before, we, we've known about your work for a while. We know that you have a footprint in Appalachia and all the great work that you're doing. And we wanted to have you on the show to really to highlight your work, to highlight your programming, to let our listeners know what's going on, what you do, all the success that you're having and the hopeful continued success that you'll have throughout the region. So we want to thank you for that. Thank you for being part of our show. And, and we appreciate the time. Yeah, absolutely. And to all the listeners, uh, if you are an entrepreneur or have an idea and want help, go to co and then it's on the top navigation, find a program provider. Just go in there. We have a map and you can put your city that you're in with the closest radius and find a place that has co-starters and start investing and being a part of it. If you are not in a community right now, find one that's close to you. So I can't imagine there wouldn't be one at least 50 miles from you guys uh, in the Appalachian region. So go to co-starters.co, join a program. And then if you are a consultant, a coach, an ecosystem builder, a city, like if you love what you're hearing, reach out to us. There's a lot of programs that ARC is doing right now that I would like to learn more about what you guys are doing and, and, and maybe putting you through a program that ARC has to help you fund activities in your city uh, so that we can support more starters in your community. Great. Appreciate your time, Jose. Awesome, guys. Well, I appreciate it. I thought that was a really interesting episode. Obviously, like we said, we've known about co-starters for a while and what they do in communities, but having started right in Chattanooga in East Tennessee and Appalachia, Tennessee, and growing worldwide, you know, they can, they work with communities throughout the world, not only the U.S., but to help entrepreneurs, to help small businesses, really to help communities grow uh, in a sustainable way. Yeah, uh, Will, like I said previously, uh would have had access to co-starters back uh, several years ago could have helped streamline some things for me and uh, certainly pointed me in the right direction when I was wandering the woods alone. And I know Jose really focused on the community aspect and how they go into communities from the ESO perspective or the entrepreneur support organization and how they work with those organizations. But like you said, specifically for the individual, specifically for the entrepreneur. They have a number of programs. I think Jose mentioned a few. He mentioned the 10-week accelerator program. (laughs) He mentioned the boot camp. They also have get started workshops. They have best practice guides. You can check them out on their website. They have a co-starters generator to inspire the youth to be entrepreneurs. I think they go into schools potentially. But they also have the business canvas that you can download directly and free on their website that we talked a little bit about. So they have a lot of packaged materials, not just for communities, but for specific individual entrepreneurs themselves. Yeah, I was uh, grateful to learn more about it from from Jose. I look forward to, to talking to him more. Definitely. And like he said, if you're a community out there in need, like we mentioned in the beginning, in the intro, Canton, North Carolina would be a community if they haven't used the co-starters all ever to reach out just to get an idea of how they can help those individuals that have just lost their jobs that they've had for decades. You know, what are those individuals going to do? It's easier said than done, but one thing they can do, focus on their own skill sets, 
find out <laughs> what they're interested in. And maybe co-starters can steer them in the right direction in regards to entrepreneurship or some other endeavor that they may have interest in. Yes, sir. So I was going to ask you, Neil, since we have been talking about entrepreneurship on this episode, how important it is. We've been talking about ecosystems, how important they are for small communities. Do you have a app biz of the week for us? Yeah, well, I wanted to mention a business that uh, you and I and Jose talked about, the CPR rap that he was educating us on. I think that'd be a great one to highlight. That beatboxing rap? R.A.P.? Uh, no, not exactly, but that's it, a good point. I'm, I was getting ready to tell you the website, and I was going to spell it out so you'd better understand, but it's the CPRWRAP.com. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, CPRRAP.com, and you think CPR rap, like like, like Will just said, what what kind of music am I playing? But, no, it's uh, it actually helps facilitate individuals performing CPR Felicia Jackson is the owner of that company. You can go on their website and learn more about it, but she kind of uh, designed this product after an incident that occurred to her and her family uh, with her own child. Um, Luckily, her child uh, made it through the incident, but uh, these CPR apps were designed to help aid individuals in performing CPR. You can go on their website and find out how you can buy uh, the CPR wrap yourself today. They offer a variety of different sizes. You can buy the bundle pack. I was just thinking to myself when we were talking about this earlier, you know, I know if any of you have kids that play on sports teams or, or you know, the DeMar Hamlin situation popped in my, my brain, uh, to have these CPR wraps on hand for individuals that may not necessarily be trained every single day or, or not so often in how to perform CPR. These CPR apps make it much easier and it can definitely help save a life. Maybe on your kids' sports teams, you buy a whole bundle for the coach to keep with him at all times. I don't know, just an idea. But check out Felicia Jackson's uh, CPR app company, business that she's built. Again, the website CPR Rap. That's W-R-A-P dot com. She has a really cool story. She was actually certified when it happened to her own child in CPR. But because, you know, she'd never really been in that situation, she kind of, for lack of a better term, freaked out and couldn't perform uh, under pressure. So these reps help even if you're certified. Again, to that, as Jose alluded to, you know, she knew nothing about business. She knew nothing about building a business. She knew nothing about running a business. She just had this idea. And co-starters kind of helped her through the process of building the successful business that she has today. Yeah, it's a wonderful story. I hope you guys will uh, will listen to it. Will, you mentioned moments in life that you freeze up. I froze up for a little while, but then I pushed through and now I have three children. <laughs> good, good for you <laughs> i think i think on that note we can end it like we usually do till next time peace i'm up in the mountains again i'm getting lighter the air's getting thin now i'm facing down with a grin i've been in the city too Sidewalks and buildings
songs and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.